BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Leslie McClurg in for Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, Los Angeles City Council formally apologized this month for the Zoot Suit Riots, a series of attacks that took place 80 years ago. Servicemen, police officers, and white civilians targeted young Mexican, Filipino, and black Americans wearing the wide-legged pants and long coats known as Zoot Suits, attacking and stripping them and injuring more than 150 people. The suit is now a symbol of Chicano pride and hailed by Los Angeles County Museum of Arts as the first American suit. We'll discuss the history and legacy of the riot's 80th anniversary and talk about the relevance of the Zoot suit today. That's next after this news. This is Forum. I'm Leslie McClurigan today for Mina Kim. 80 years ago this month, the Zoot Suit Riots took place in Los Angeles. The LA Times has released a series commemorating the anniversary. And the authors say, quote, the name is misleading because it suggests that the Zoot Suiters, the young Mexican, black, and Filipino men and boys who wore the flamboyant outfits were the perpetrators. In fact, they were the victims. L.A. County Board of Supervisors voted unanimously to condemn the riots last month. Here's Supervisor Hilda L. Solis. The Zoot Suit riots have been one of Los Angeles's most shameful moments in our history. I therefore brought this motion forward to denounce the devastation of the Zoot Suit riots and recognize this as a dark chapter in Los Angeles County history and to recommit to fighting against all forms of racial discrimination. And joining me now to dive further into this history are Gustavo Arellano, he's a columnist at the Los Angeles Times, and Steve Padilla, he's an editor at the Los Angeles Times, and he also edits the showcase feature, Column One, and he oversaw the LA Times Zoot Suit Riot's 80th anniversary package. And Elizabeth Escobedo, she's the Associate Professor of History, or a Associate Professor of History, at the University of Denver, and the author of From Coveralls to Zoot Suits, The Lives of Mexican-American Women on the World War II Homefront. Welcome to all of you. Elizabeth, can you just paint us a picture what does a zoot suit look like yes of course and thank you it's a pleasure to be here the zoot suit style um, was an, a, a jazz style and it originates in the 1930s and 1940s um, especially amongst african-american community members um, who were engaged in in jazz culture and oftentimes they would wear uh, baggy pants that were tapered at the ankle a really long, broad-shouldered fingertip coat, 
Um, sometimes there would be a broad rim hat or a watch chain hanging from the pocket that would would spruce up the suit. Um, and this it really spreads to Mexican-American communities and other communities of color during the World War II era. Um, and I should say that women also wore the zoot suit, either the style that I just described um, that, that men most often wore, but you also had women who would wear the fingertip coat along with a knee length pleated skirt, which for the time was seen as very scandalous because it was above the knee. Um, bobby socks and platform heels, saddle shoes, dark lipstick, hair in a bouffant. It's a very exaggerated clothing style. And let's hear let's hear a clip here of someone kind of describing it at the time. This is from a video produced by the Times at the annual Los Angeles Zoot Suit Riots cruise. His this is a participant, uh, Tony Larios, on what the suit represented to him. To me, the Zutsu represents a stylization which came from, you know, the early 30s. You know, not just that, it's the cultural, you know, icon of what one thinks about the 40s. But to me, personally, it's the struggle as an immigrant coming from Mexico to the, U to the United States and for those who suffered here as well. Steve, did they have any idea at the time that that's what they were, you know, communicating? Or did they have a sense that this was, you know, a statement, uh, you know, a sort of political or cultural statement at the time? That's a very good question. I'm not sure if they were aware of it. The, the zoot suitors, the pachucos and pachucas wearing this stuff. But that's certainly how it was perceived by a lot of people. Um, you know, I mean, when you think about the zoot suit riots, I think fundamentally they were an expression of wartime xenophobia, um, anti-immigrant uh, sentiment, which is not really the most accurate phrase, frankly, because a lot of the zoot suitors weren't immigrants. Actually, they were U.S. born. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, the, the, as I was saying, they were expression of this fear of the other and these just elaborate, um, some people would say outrageous outfits, which look great, <laughs> uh, were threatening to some people. They were very threatening. Because they were different. I, I understand, different. Elizabeth, that your aunt wore one. She did. She did. Yes, my Aunt Ida. Uh, she, in 1942, started working in a defense factory near her home um, in East Los Angeles. And she was earning more money. She was also going to graduate from high school. And her mother gave her some extra money to buy a very pretty dress um, for her high school graduation ceremony. And my aunt, being the independent-minded thinker uh, that she was at the time, uh, decided that she was going to use her wages and that extra money to buy herself a zoot suit. And she paraded across the high school stage um, in her flashy attire, um, what she considered looking very sharp and, and um, hep and um, you know, very much not a square of the time. And my grandmother didn't talk to her for weeks um, because she was really ashamed and embarrassed that her daughter would wear such a controversial clothing style at such an important ceremony. And, and the, did the, was that tear, you know, inside families because, you know, that the grandmother there wants her to be accepted. She's threatened by the fact that, you know, her child is going out against sort of a cultural norm. Absolutely. Um, and I think this was even more so for young women who adorned the attire, uh, because this was, again, it was, it was seen as controversial in the larger community. And these were young women who were 
not only highlighting their cultural difference, but really playing with their sexuality in a very public way, striving for personal freedom. A lot of women who wore zoot suits uh, really went outside the norm in terms of, of Mexican familial values. Um, they didn't want to be submissive and homebound. They didn't want to have a chaperone on their arm when they went out in public, which was often quite commonplace for Mexican-American women at the time. And so this was really a way of just flaunting this this public sense of self. And that was seen by many Mexican families as incredibly um, problematic. Well, Liz, I have to add, um, one of our uh, colleagues at the LA Times, Louis Sahagan, uh, talks about how his father saved up and bought a zoot suit. He actually got one. But <laughs> then his father, found the suit suit, took out a pair of scissors and promptly cut it all up, uh, Lewis oh. says. Uh, in my family, uh, my dad also grew up in the East Side, and, along with my mom, and uh, a dad uh, told me that he wanted a suit suit, uh, but uh, um, his mom, uh, my grandmother, uh, said no way. <laughs> she was just not going to have that at all. Well, Gustavo, in 1942, it even gets a little bit hotter, right? Because the War Production Board starts to set limits on wool and other fabrics for war rationing, which then fueled a ton of contempt for the zoot suitors because these suits required a lot of fabric. What started to sort of unfold, you know, as those rations came down? Well, the zoot suitors, they were not going to, they were not going to let no government stop them from wearing what they wanted to wear, which made them now not just outcasts for their race and also their, you know, their class where, you know, their, their status in class, because it wasn't just, uh, you know, people of color thing, although overwhelmingly so, is you had white working class kids from Boyle Heights, Jewish kids, Russian kids. They were also wearing the zoot suits. Now they're seen as anti-American. Now they're seen as treasonous and now they're seen as worthy of ridicule. So 1942, you start seeing Hollywood make fun of the zoot suit. Uh, uh, Lauren Hardy came out wearing a zoot suit. Uh, Lil Abner, the very, very famous comic, especially at the time, that a whole series where Lil, the, the namesake character, Lil Abner, all of a sudden became Yoakum. And so he started going around you know, the country and people were just trying to catch him to make sure that he wouldn't wear a zoot suit. Tom and Jerry, there's actually a great Tom and Jerry cartoon where Tom, the cat, is, you know, he's trying to court another cat, so she, he starts wearing a zoot suit. So Hollywood sees it as just outlandish and ridiculous, and the press is starting to pick up on these cues, and they're starting to paint these stories of wars with these so-called pachucos, especially in Southern California, especially in Los Angeles, and especially in mine and Steve's paper, the Los Angeles Times. Yeah, and then we, it... we referred to them as freak suits. We also called the zoot suits a badge of delinquency. And was there any other phrase that we used, Gustavo? Gammon dandies. That's the classic one. Oh, yeah. Of the zoot suitors themselves. That's right. So the, the press is getting upset. The grandparents are getting upset. And then I guess in 1942, it gets even, even hotter because 22-year-old Jose Diaz is murdered. Walk us through sort of what happened at the, um, I think it's called the Sleepy Lagoon Trials, Gustavo. So this is what kicks, arguably kicks off what ends up becoming the Zoot Suit Riot. So August 2nd, 1942, there's a party in, it was a reservoir, actually. It was a reservoir by a company. So this was one of the few places where Mexican or people of color could swim without having to face any segregation. And it's now, the spot of the lagoon is in what's currently now 
Montebello, Bell, Maywood, Southeast Los Angeles. And a young man named Jose Diaz, he gets he gets found on the side of the road, stabbed with broken ribs. They take him to the hospital. He ends up dying. And the city of Los Angeles, uh, law enforcement, they round up hundreds of Mexican-American men and women, over 600 by some accounts. Eventually, 22 of them get charged with the murder of Jose Diaz. 17 get convicted. You have women being sent off to a girl's, you know, for lack of a better term, a girl's prison for refusing to uh, say anything to the police and the press really starts picking it up. This starts being known as a Sleepy Lagoon murder and it was a complete miscarriage of justice. Eventually the convictions of these 17 young men, they get sent to San Quentin prison, of course the most most notorious prison in California. Uh, Years later their convictions get overturned but this actually leads on one hand to uh, unity between stars like Orson Welles, Rita Hayworth, the black community, Charlotta Bass, who was the editor and publisher of a very influential paper called the California Eagle, where they're advocating for the release of these young men who were wrongfully imprisoned. On the other side, though, the L.A. Times and the Hearst Press, they start reporting even more. Anything even remotely associated with any type of crime. Oh, yeah, Pachucos did it. Pachucos did it. So this goes from August of 42 and leads up through the winter of, uh, you know, summer of, uh, you know, that to spring of 43. More and more stories just start coming up. More and more, uh, you know, just more and more tensions happening. We're talking about the 80th anniversary of the Zoot Suit Riots, and we'll get into the tension. We've basically been talking about the tension that's building to to get us there. We'll talk about the riots themselves just after this break. And this is when servicemen and police officers and white civilians targeted young Mexican, Filipino, and black Americans wearing these wide-legged pants and long coats, these very flamboyant Zoot Suits. And we've been been joined by and are joined by Gustavo Arellano. He's a columnist at the Los Angeles Times, and Steve Padilla. He's an editor at the Los Angeles Times, and Elizabeth Escobedo, she's an associate professor of history at the University of Denver. And we want to hear from you. How did you first learn about the Zoot Suit Riots, or do you have any ties to people who were in the riots? Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org, or find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're at KQED Forum. Or give us a call now at 866-733-7676. That's 866-733-6786. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Proud to be Latino, proud to be Chicano, first and foremost. You know, we, we commemorate that because a lot of them were arrested. So, uh, you know, we represent that. We, we, we're bringing attention to that. 
Um, we're proud of it. We're proud of the fact that we are who we are. We are Americans of Mexican descent. We're Mexican-Americans. We're Chicanos, first and foremost. That's from a video produced by The Times at the annual Los Angeles Zoot Suit Riots cruise, and that was participant Arturo Orozco reflecting on the riots. And we're talking about the 80th anniversary of the Zoot Suit Riots. This is when servicemen and police officers and white civilians targeted more than 150 young men wearing these wide-legged pants and long coats known as the Zoot Suits. And we were joined by Gustavo Arellano. He's a columnist at the Los Angeles Times. Steve Padilla, he's the editor of the Los Angeles Times, and he oversaw this latest package that the Times put out about the 80th anniversary of the Zoot Suit Riots. And Elizabeth Escobedo, she's an associate professor of history at the University of Denver. And Gustavo, let's talk about the riots now. So in 1943, the riots started. What sparked the initial strife? So as more service members are coming into Southern California, because Southern California had so many uh, Marine bases, Army bases, Navy bases, all of the soldiers that were going to go fight off in the Pacific, you start having these interactions. And especially, remember, you're getting all these uh, servicemen from across the country, but especially the South. They've never been around so many Mexicans before. They don't know what to do. Everyone's going to bars. There's fights. But on May 31st, or rather in late May, there was a specific brawl where Pachucos ended up breaking the jaw of one of uh, of a Navy off uh, or, a, you know, a, a Navy man, a seaman. And so after that, you had a bunch of uh, the or the for the Navy at the time, or one of them was in what's now uh, Dodger Stadium, the area known as Chavez Ravine. So they start going into the Chicano neighborhoods around there, and they start beating, going into bars, start beating them up, start uh, ripping off the zoot suits of these pachucos. And that's just when the chaos starts. The word starts growing uh, or spreading across all these military bases and the civilians, uh, among the civilians and on radio. And, of course, the press is just breathlessly reporting. That was day one of what... Arguably, it was about five to seven days. Really, I mean, the uh, the apogee of it, it would have been June 8th, but it just gets absolutely ugly. When you say absolutely ugly, are we talking about, you know, folks going to the hospital? Maybe are there any deaths? As far as anyone has been able to document, no one was killed. On the other hand, a black man who wasn't even a zoot suitor, he was actually uh, working at one of the uh, at a factory, got out of town during the riots. He got his eyes gouged out by servicemen. You had uh, servicemen and pachucos going to the hospital. You had threats of rape. You had, uh, you know, uh, buildings, uh, windows being smashed. The most infamous moments, you had service members going into movie theaters in downtown Los Angeles and the Spanish language movie theaters dragging. We're talking teenagers, kids, 12, 13 years old, never men. It's always young men getting dragged out, getting beat up and then getting stripped down to their underwear with the zoot suit being burnt. It was it was ugly. It was absolute chaos and no less a person than Eleanor Roosevelt called out the riots for what they were. It was ugly racism happening at a time when America could least afford to exhibit racism. And how is the press? You said breathless, Steve. How is the press characterizing this this chaos? And then also the response from uh, Liz, or from Roosevelt. Well, this, the the press was cheering on the 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 rioters. Um, I mean, called whether, you know, in editorial pages and columnists in headlines, I think we had one headline, Gustavo, that said something like uh, 
uh, seamen teach Zooters a lesson. Yeah. Zoot suitor lessons. Right. It was, yeah. I mean, especially yeah. the Los Angeles Times. And sadly, and Steve could talk about this a little bit more, we have been having to answer for the ugliness that we showed during the Zoot Suit riots all these decades later. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one, uh, and speaking of Eleanor Roosevelt, by the way, so she did denounce this and uh, blamed racism. Uh, the LA Times promptly wrote an editorial saying that Eleanor didn't know what she was talking about. Uh, and then uh, had the gall to actually say that Eleanor uh, Roosevelt, the first lady, was the one who was um, uh, creating racial unrest. They blamed her. But here's one thing about this uh, this whole, uh, you know, scenario, the thing that happened in L.A. Um, a colleague of ours made a really interesting observation as we were planning this package of stories that we're putting together. And he said this wasn't just, you know civic chaos and violence. We've had that in America before many times. He said this was state-sanctioned chaos, state-sanctioned violence. And by state, he was referring to all the entities that help run the region, um, government, at governments at various levels, the military, the press, the business community. They actually all encouraged this and applauded. So it wasn't just people running off and doing their own thing. It was actually with the sanction, the, the approval of the state. Well, Noel tweets, I learned about the riots from Luis Valdez's play Zoot Suit, and then that which later became a movie. Um, she asks, can you talk a little bit more about that? Uh, Gustavo. Yeah, so flash forward then that later. So 1943 happens for decades. It is seen as just even the Latino community as a humiliating moment. We literally got our butts beaten by angry white people. So 1950s happen. You have the rise of the Mexican-American middle class. They just want to leave all of that. And by the way, a lot of those pachucos ended up becoming World War II veterans. That's something that's almost never examined. But by the uh, time of the 1960s and the profe Elizabeth can probably talk more about this, the Chicano movement, the they start uh, bringing back the Pachuco and the style and seeing them as heroes and heroines, uh, Pachucos and Pachucas, standing up against racism. So uh, uh, Luis Valdez's Zutsu, it start, he writes a play in the late 1970s, but he's using this sort of reclamation of the Pachuco icon as something that we should be proud of. Yes, Pachucos got beat badly, but at the end, they still stand. I mean, and look at the end. The winner, like who, who does the Chicano community still hold up as paragons, uh, you know, as soldiers against white supremacy, the Pachucos, 80 years later? Well, Steve, your own father's memory, I think, was jogged by by the play. I believe you you took him or, or went with him. What did your father say when he when he saw the, the play? Well, um, it was interesting. I, sh I should mention that when the play first came out back, you know, back in the 70s, my folks uh, wouldn't go see it. Uh, I did. Uh, in L.A. back at the Aquarius Theater. My folks wouldn't see it. I think they were scared of it. I think they were scared of the memories it would bring. And then later after it became a film, I remember we were watching it one night with my aunt and my, you know, my dad's sister, and my mom, and they're all crying through the whole thing. Uh, so flash forward many, many years, uh, the Mark Taper Forum, uh, bless them, did a revival of the show, I think in 2017. Uh, took my folks and like a lot of the Mexican-Americans in the audience, we are laughing at times because it's very clever and funny in places, but also absolutely tragic and crying. But then at the end, but then after the show's over, oh, I should mention in the show, there is a scene where servicemen attack uh, Zoot Suter, the lead character known as El Pachuco, and they strip him there. 
And as we're leaving the theater, my dad says, hey, you know that scene where they strip the guy? I go, yeah, dad, of course. He said, yeah, I saw that. I'm like, what? <laughs> he had never told me that before. He said, yeah, wow. it was on 4th Street over in Boyle Heights. I saw that. Wow. Elizabeth, as you were writing about this, what did the women have to say, you know, historically as they were looking back at the Zoot Suit riots? And what was the role in the actual riots? And what was the role, you know, in these in these years following? Yeah, so there, when I interviewed Mexican-American women who wore Zoot Suits during the war um, and talked explicitly about the riots, um, for many, they were just really worried um, because the male members of their community and, and family members were really on the front lines um, in terms of, of this violence. But it's important to understand too that in the, the lead up to the Zoot Suit riots, there again is, is tons of this sensationalist news coverage, um, but a lot of it does center around women. So for instance, um, those who were called Zoot Suiters um, were said to be raping the girls of, of white service personnel. Um, and you also did have a lot of tensions on, on city streets because Mexican-American women were becoming more public and hanging out more with, with men without chaperones and the like, um, they were engaging more with um, men outside of the Mexican community. And so there's a lot of tension about women's place. And the, the press very much highlights and stereotypes women in the Mexican community as being loose. Uh, they liken them to prostitutes members of gangs, criminals, um, but it's always within this this lens of, of sexuality um, and that they are, they're not behaving like proper women with proper purity and femininity. Um, and so when the Zoot Suit riots break out, you do see some headlines of, of women who are, are fighting back or speaking out against those who um, are perpetuating this violence but for the most part, um, we did see men, Mexican men, uh, really being those who were, as, as my colleagues here have, have discussed, being stripped, um, having their hair cut. Uh, and so women were just really worried about the, the male members of their, their families and their community. The the pictures that are in the the series that you all brought forward from the times was they're really really heartbreaking pictures of you know boys basically you know hovering or hunkering down in, naked in the street after you know their, their clothes being ripped off them it was quite visceral to, to look through the photos from this moment gustavo how did the violence end how did how did sort of peace eventually come to los angeles after these sort of horrific five to seven days it was an international outcry. The Mexican government lodged complaints with the American government saying, hey, uh, our citizens, even though, as Steve said, most of them were actually American citizens born to Mexican origin parents, are getting assaulted. And so finally, the military put a curfew, actually made the city of Los Angeles off limits. And we don't really get into this in our series, but even though it stopped in Los Angeles, that didn't stop then these uh, marauders to going to other cities like, uh, you know, east of Los Angeles, like El Monte, Duarte, Pasadena. In where I live, Orange County, you had attempts to create uh, zoot suit riots there because we also had the El Toro Marine Corps base. The last big almost skirmish happened, I believe it was 
June 10th, so a couple of days after the curfew curfew was implemented, uh, you had 150 sailors, Army Air uh, folks, they start marching into Watts, which of course is a historical Black and Latino neighborhood, and they're marching around uh, the neighborhood. They don't think, by the way, that Watts is a part of Los Angeles, even though Watts is part of Los Angeles. So they go around, they start uh, uh, you know, taunting people, taunting zoot suitors, singing military songs. Finally, the MPs come and tell them all, hey, go home. The only people arrested from that, though, were 20-some Black and Latino teens who had at the these red cars, the trolleys that were coming up and bringing in these servicemen to their neighborhoods, and they were throwing rocks to try to send them back home. They all got arrested. There's a picture. Sadly, we didn't print it in uh, – but the Herald Examiner, you could actually find it in the L.A. Public Library's archives. It's 20-some black and Latino youths having been arrested just because they're trying to defend their neighborhood from people who are going to try to beat them up and worse. Ivy tweets, my uncles were attacked in Boyle Heights. My grandpa got attacked on a streetcar when heading home from work. All of them were black men. Gustavo, you wrote about this, sort of the alliance that, that occurred between the black community and the Latinos. Yeah, I, we always, especially again in the press, we always try to amp up this idea about rivalries between blacks and Latinos, especially in Los Angeles. And let's not pretend that there's not tension, but historically in the over in the arc of the history of black and Latino folks, there's always been alliances. So during the 19, you know, during the Zoot Suit riots, you had the California Eagle, again, one of the most influential black newspapers in the country. Uh, somebody, a gentleman who ran a grocery co-op, put out an ad and urged the black community and with Latinos specifically, he was saying Mexican-Americans, stand with Mexican-Americans because they do not have the political power that we do, and we are here to help them. The Zoot Suit riots were covered in the Chicago uh, Defender, uh, you know, the Pittsburgh Courier, the NAACP's magazine, The Crisis. The black press all across the country were carrying it because, again, black folks were being assaulted. And all of this history is almost completely gone. I mean, when you mentioned at the very beginning in your intro, when you said, you know, uh, Mexican-Americans and also Filipinos and black uh, men, young men were assaulted. Usually when uh, you hear about the Zoot Suit riots and the public imagination, all of that alliance is just reduced online. And that's that. Uh, academics like Prof. Elizabeth and others who have written about it, they get way more into detail about those alliances. But what I try to do with my column was tell modern-day Los Angeles, hey, this is part of our history. Why did we, as Chicanos, mostly erase Black participation and advocacy and alliances, allianceship during the Zoot Suit riots? Let's bring that back. We're talking about the 80th anniversary of the Zoot Suit riots, and this is when servicemen and police officers and white civilians targeted, as you just heard from Gustavo, young Mexican, Filipino, and black Americans wearing the wide-legged pants and these flamboyant long coats known as the Zoot Suits. And we're joined in this hour with Gustavo Arellano. He's a columnist at the Los Angeles Times, and Steve Padilla, he's editor at the Los Angeles Times, who oversaw the series that just came out from the LA Times about, these, about the 80th anniversary and Elizabeth Escobedo. She's Associate Professor of History at the University of Denver. And we want to hear from you. We want to bring callers into the conversation. How did you first hear about the Zoot Suit riots? 
maybe do you have any ties to people who were in the riots? Maybe you have some questions for our experts or, or listening to this conversation inspires you to, to comment or give us your perspective. Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or you can find us on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram or at KQED Forum or give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Uh, a listener asks, uh, and this question uh, to you, Elizabeth, can, can you talk about the transition from Pachuco culture and style to the current Chicano style? What was the historical context of that change? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, so after um, after the riots um, and on into the 50s, you know, so many of these these youth that wore zoot suits during during the World War II era, um, <clears throat> Maybe maybe put their zoot suits in the closet and that sort of thing. And so we 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 see um, the the style not necessarily disappear, but it's certainly more muted um, in the LA community. Um, but then again, we really see a renaissance of of the zoot suit and zoot suit culture during the the late 1960s on into the 70s and 80s, um, especially on the heels of the Chicano movement and the fact that you have so many youth in the Chicano movement, looking back at the 1940s and those who, who dared to adopt this controversial style at a time when it was seen as, as unpatriotic and un-American, um, as, as really sort of the harbingers of, 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 of cultural affirmation, developing their own sense of style that didn't conform to the norms of Anglo society. Um, and, and really sort of challenging the notion that American identity was white um, and rather um, demonstrating ways in which you can and redefine Americanism to include um, people of color and include individuals who want to highlight their cultural difference. Um, and so it becomes, um, you know, really just sort of an, an icon of Chicano identity during the 60s and 70s. Although I will say that the Pachuca is less so. Um, she she is more invisible in the 1960s and, and 1970s. And and my colleague at uh, UC Santa Cruz, uh, Catherine Ramirez, uh, in her book, she details the sort of invisibility of, of the Pachuca in later years, um, because so much of the Chicano movement was focused on this very heteronormative family as a place of protection. Um, and so the, the Pachuca is not as as revered. Um, but what I think is really interesting now is you're very much seeing a, a renaissance in terms of women um, and, and men within the Chicano community wearing zoot suits for quinceañeras and weddings um, and other celebratory uh, community events. Yeah, we're going to talk about the reckoning uh, that is happening is sort of the, the apology from from the city leaders in Los Angeles, as well as this sort of renaissance that you're talking about. We're talking about the 80th anniversary of the Zoot Suit riots and how we're finding our way back to how to how to embrace it and how to celebrate it uh, in this moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. It's our ancestors, a representation of our struggle, our ancestors. And not just that, it's also how we represent it, how we use it, the colors, the feathers, the style, the hat, you know, the originality of it, the nostalgia of what gives us the gift of remembering our past loved ones and who we miss every day. When I think, when I say the Zutsu riot, it's a struggle. And it makes me think, it wasn't just Chicanos. They were the children of Chicanos. They were the children of Chicanos that were attacked. This is Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in for Mina Kim. And that was a video produced by The Times, the LA Times, at the annual Los Angeles Zoot Suit Riots Cruise. And that was participant Tony Larios on what the Zoot Suit represents. And again, we're talking about the 80th anniversary of the Zoot Suit Riots. This is when servicemen and police officers and white civilians targeted young men who were wearing the wide-legged and long coats, kind of these flamboyant Zoot Suits. And we're joined by Gustavo Ariano. He's a columnist at the Los Angeles Times and Steve Padilla. He's an editor at the Los Angeles Times who oversaw the 80th anniversary package that the Times just released. And Elizabeth Escobedo, she's an associate professor of history at the University of Denver and the author of From Coveralls to Zoot Suits, The Lives of Mexican-American Women on the World War II Home Front. And we want to hear from you. How did you first hear about the Zoot Suits? the riots? Did you have any ties to people who were in the riots? Do you know anyone that wears a Zoot Suit? Maybe you have a question for one of our experts. Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or at KQED Forum or give us a call right now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Michael writes, this is another example of extreme racism against Latino culture. When are we going to stop persecuting Latinos for developing their own culture? Lowriders are still restricted in Northern California communities. And another listener writes, believe it or not, I learned about the Zoot Suit Riots in my history of fashion and costume class in college. Uh, Steve, I want to talk about sort of the reckoning that is, that is happening right now. Tell us about the apology that just came forward uh, from city leaders in Los Angeles. Well, that, that's a fascinating development, isn't it? Um, we've seen, uh, it was, I think, in mid-May, first the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors acknowledged the violence, uh, didn't really apologize, but denounced what had occurred. That was the snippet from uh, that you played at the beginning of the program, uh, Supervisor Hilda Solis talking. But then uh, near the end of the month, near the end of May, uh, the Los Angeles City Council uh, passed a resolution, not just denouncing what had occurred, but apologizing. And what was really fascinating to me was they did this in the same room where an earlier city council had debated uh, um, whether to ban zoot suits from the city of Los Angeles. So uh, it just, it's, here's the thing. Um, I, I think about the, these kinds of resolutions. You know, we obviously, I think as a country, as a society should celebrate our virtues and our victories, but also we do need to just acknowledge when we've gone astray. And I think that increases the odds that we won't go astray again. Uh, that, that's why it's important to remember these things. 
we we knew that the 80th anniversary was coming up and devoted quite a bit of time talking about how do we mark this uniquely LA event. Let's hear a clip here uh, from, this is Miguel Lopez. He's with the Chicano Moratorium Committee at the LA County's, uh, LA, excuse me, LA City Council's, this was his formal apology this month. I myself personally am a son of a World War II hero who grew up here down the street, a zoot suitor, a professional boxer at 16, and a hero of World War II. My mother lived right off 25th and Maple, and I remember my mother distinctly telling me when I was a kid how angry and upset she was watching young Mexican kids running down the street naked from having their suit ripped off. Hmm. Well, let's bring a caller into the conversation. Yoli in San Francisco, you're on the air. Yeah, hi. I just wanted to, uh, well, just about my dad, uh, who who's passed, who passed away back in 2005. But, you know, he, he came over here on the Bracero program, and he was actually very young. He was actually around 16, 17 years old. He just lied and said he was 18. But once he was here, and he farmed, worked around the L.A. area and Ventura, Oxnard, and then, you know, areas around there. Anyway, he... When he wanted to simulate as being American, he assimilated with the Pachucos, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that 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 he really loved being a part of that. And in fact, you know, years later, we found his Pachuco suit. He kept it. He kept mm-hmm. it all his life, even though it was a part of his life. Uh, he later then moved out here to North, you know, over here in San Francisco and and establish his family out here but you know when he got to la and in the la area the pachuco scene was something that he identified with and definitely he kept his pachuco suit so that is something that we have in our family uh because of him thanks for sharing that yoli yeah, I can hear the pride in your in your own voice. So thank you so much for, for sharing that story. Uh, David writes, elements of the zoot suit were part of my wild uncle's fine clothes. He was and still is just so cool. My dad and uncle had a shoe shop that sold some beautiful zoot style, two-tone shoes. I loved that style. The Latinos and others that wore zoot suits through the 60s, 70s, and 80s just seemed so cool and powerful. The politics were lost on me. Gustavo, isn't that kind of the thing? The kids were wearing it because they were cool. Many of them we're not trying to make a political statement. It's, it's kind of the tr- same thing is true today. I mean, in the sense, though, that youth culture is always going to be political. Those pachucos, they knew what they were wearing. They were not, I mean, the, the very idea that it, you wear it, it, and they had a whole lingo to it, the replete and the drape shape, and it was people like Cab Calloway. The cool kids were doing it. If you weren't wearing it, well, you were just a square. And this, at least, was happening in the 40s. Today, what's interesting, and our uh, mine and Steve's colleague, Carolina Miranda, she actually wrote an essay about not just the history of the zoot suit, but also how it's still influencing uh, a Chicana and Chicano, and frankly, Latinx uh, fashion style today. So even if you don't wear a zoot suit per se, there's still that styling. There's still like the creases. I mean, so much of that influence still happens. Like me. I crease my pants every single day because, and I mean, that's about as pachuco as I'm going to get because I'm not cool at all, but I still want to <laughs> have a little bit of, you know, zip in my hip or however I can't rhyme. So, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You sound pretty cool to me, Gustavo. Let, <laughs> let's go to what a call. Uh, Ariana, you're on the air in San Francisco. Hi. Uh, yeah, I just wanted a little two cents. Um, I actually grew up in Massachusetts, but I live out here now and I've literally learned more just on this um program right now than i ever did growing up but i 
first heard about it in my history book in like middle school, probably. Um, but I really didn't know much about its location or anything like how prominent it was out here on the West Coast until I grew up, basically. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing, Ariana. A a listener writes, one of the first things I did when I moved to Los Angeles was go to the public libraries and talk to research librarians. Many of them grew up in this culture and talked about the Zoot Suit riots. And another listener writes, any continuity between lowrider clothing style and the Zoot Suit? I had good friends in Albuquerque, New Mexico in the 80s who had styles that seemed reminiscent of the Zoot Suit era. Elizabeth, any thoughts there? Absolutely. I think you can, um, you know, really draw a straight connecting line between those who are wearing zoot suits in the 1940s and then lowrider culture today. Um, again, looking back at, at those who really brought the zoot suit to prominence with um, a lot of, of reverence and, and pride. Steve, how is this a uniquely L.A. story or is it a uniquely L.A. story? Well, um Quite simply, it really didn't take place elsewhere. Um, although, actually, as Gustavo pointed out, it wasn't just you know the city of Los Angeles proper. It was throughout Southern California. There was even an incident in San Diego, if I recall correctly. But um, you know, and maybe Elizabeth would would correct me here. But my understanding is that um, as far as Mexican Americans embracing the zoot suit, it really was a Southern California LA thing. They really, you know, I have we have a, colleagues from Texas who say, hey, we didn't. Our people didn't do that. Um, So it was really an L.A. event. Uh, And I think one thing that contributed to it, you know, we talked earlier about the anti, um, you know, um, anti other sentiment that was going on. Part of the roots of of all this, um, you know, angry, all these angry attitudes towards immigrants and people who look different. A lot of that really happened well before the murder of Jose Diaz. Uh, I think many historians point to the executive order by Franklin Delano Roosevelt in February of 1942, the one that sent 120,000 people of Japanese descent to incarceration camps. That set the stage for fear of the other. Of course. Gustavo, you've called the riots a, a quote, long-standing open psychic wound in the Mexican-American community. How do you think those wounds have sort of cut and shaped and, and maybe even inspired the Latino community over the years? Yeah, again, you had um, the Mexican-American generation. So in other words, uh, the people who came back from World War II, they wanted to become middle class, and they just rejected anything that had to do with pachucos. With that. It was like something that you hid away in the closet. But arguably also that racism, the what happened then fueled the Chicano generation. We talk about, I mean, the zoot suit really popped up, I would argue, wherever there was black and Latino youth getting together, listening to the same music, whether it was Lalo Guerrero and his Pachuco songs or Duke Ellington or Benny Goodman or whatever. And so that included to the Central Valley. I mean, Cesar Chavez talked about how he wore a zoot suit. Malcolm X wore a zoot suit. And so in the 60s, they remember that racism and they're like, all right, we're not going to stand with this anymore. We're going to fight against that. Then you had, of course, the Chicano movement embracing the Pachuco as an icon. And now this generation, I really see, especially young people on TikTok, on social media, they want to learn about their history. They learn about their history, and they might know some of the broader strokes about it, but when you get into the particulars, it really makes them proud. I mean, especially, like, I can't tell you how many people reached out to me after my column one about, uh, you know, black and brown uh, 
unity during the Zoot Suit riots and people saying, wow, I didn't know about this. I'm so glad I knew about this. Let's try to push to bring something like this together, especially in Los Angeles, of course. The big news for the past six months has been the leak of this tape where it involved four of the most powerful people in Los Angeles politics who all happen to be uh, Latinos saying all sorts of horrible anti-black things and also uh, scheming to dilute black power and make, you know, and replace it with Latino power. So uh, the more we could have, we, you could just think of this as something in the past, but if people think of this as uh, the Zutsu riots and its aftermath as just history long gone, they're not paying attention to the present or the future. This is Forum. I'm Leslie McClurgam and Fermina Kim, and we're talking about the 80th anniversary of the Zoot Suit Riots. This is when servicemen and police officers and white civilians targeted young Mexican, Filipino, and black Americans who were wearing those wide-legged, long, wide-legged pants and the long kind of flamboyant coats known as the Zoot Suits. And we're joined by Gustavo Arellano. He's a columnist at the Los Angeles Times, and Steve Padilla, who's an editor at the Los Angeles Times, who oversaw the recent anniversary package that the Times just put out. And Elizabeth Escobedo, she's an associate professor of history at the University of Denver and the author of From Coveralls to Zoot Suits, The Lives of Mexican-American Women on the World War II Homefront. You know, Gustavo, you just talked a little bit about the response that the package has been having. It sounds like it's been really positive. Elizabeth, I'm curious, when you wrote your book, what was the response that you received when you sort of focused on this and specifically uh, the female lens? I think a lot of people... We're just really hungry to learn about the female experience just because it has traditionally been told this history through a very masculine lens. And so uh, a lot of people were simply surprised and delighted um, to learn that Mexican women adopted zoot styles. Um, And also just to think about zoot culture through a different lens. So in other words, Um, For a lot of Mexican-American women, putting on that suit had very different consequences for them than it might have for male members of their community um, in terms of their reputation being dragged through the mud. Um, Parents often were so concerned about their daughters wearing zoot suits that they would actually bring them before the juvenile court asking for help um, in trying to control their daughter's behavior. Um, and, and you have a lot of uh, Mexican-American women um, who come before the court and their parents are basically saying to court officials, you know, my daughter is becoming too American. She's adopting these really um, scandalous clothes and promiscuous sexual attitudes. And then reformers would say, well, actually, we think they're too Mexican. Um, these are young women who aren't Americanizing. And, and that's the problem problem um, with, with their presence and their their choices. Um, so there's a lot of tension um, around Mexican-American women really trying to be more public, less submissive, um, and changing their role in the Mexican-American family. And what I think is really interesting, too, is that a lot of the women that I interviewed who came of age in Los Angeles during the 1940s, whether they wore a zoot suit or not, um, they make decisions to raise their daughters differently. Uh, because they think back to their own experience and how um, their parents wanted them supervised at all times. And, and they, they're, they're a little bit more likely to allow um, their, their daughters to um, experience public life um, and to date and perhaps date outside the community 
So we really do see sort of a, a generational shift as time goes on. Let's go to another caller, uh, Tyrone in Castro Valley. You're on the air. Hey, guys. This is Tyrone. How you doing? <laughs> Good. Hope all is well. <laughs> hey, listen, I uh, grew up, I'm uh, African-American, grew up in Chicago, and uh, I always thought the zoo suit was a black thing. You know, I grew up, uh, you know, watched, uh, you know, of course, Malcolm X with Denzel and Spike Lee strolling down the street in that one shot that was just incredible. And it <laughs> reminded me of the suits that my father used to wear and my uncles used to wear. This is so illuminating to realize it was something that we shared as a culture, both the the uh, Latinx and also the you know African-American community. So cool. So just want to throw that out. Thank you so Tyrone, much, Tyrone. Do you still have the suits? I'm sorry. Do you still have the suits, we hope, from your folks? No, no, no. But, I, but you know something? I kept his ties. So I got all the ties from the 40s with the short, wide ties. You know, you used to see them on Beautiful. The, 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 um, Taylor My A's, the Superman uh, Steve Reed shows back in the day. So anyway, quite cool. I wish I could see those. Thanks so much for calling, Tyrone. My pleasure. And thank you. And by the way, you guys do such an excellent job. Thank you for everything that you do. I really appreciate it. Well, we, we couldn't do it without the caller. So thank you, Tyrone. Uh, really quickly before we end the hour, Gustavo, I just did you hear a lot of comments that were similar to Tyrone's, just people who were surprised to learn this history? Oh, absolutely. I mean, even though this is probably one of the better known incidents of Chicano history, still far too many people do not know about this, still far too many people. And this is why it's important. I've always been an advocate for ethnic studies and of course california is now mandating ethnic studies in high schools because this is not just history of one community or other this is american history and a lot of times too many of us and understandably we only learn about quote unquote our own history so a lot of black folks yeah they thought the zoot suit oh it was a black thing totally duke ellington cab calloway the nicholas brothers all of that and then they realize no and they, you know in mexican thing oh yeah it's a chicano thing and when you have those similarities together you learn from each other Sorry to sound cheesy, but that does make for a better America. That does make for a brighter future, and that makes for a stronger, more equitable society. So uh, this is why and I'm very happy uh, that the Los Angeles Times understands this and loves stories about history. And by the way, it, the proof is in the pudding of the readers who read them, subscribe to the paper because of that, and all that good stuff. Well, thank you so much for enlightening me. I learned a ton in this hour. Thank you to the callers and listeners who texted or, or called in. I really appreciate hearing those stories. We've been talking about the 80th anniversary of the Zoot Suit Riots this month. We're joined, we've been joined by Gustavo Ariano, a columnist for the Los Angeles Times. Steve Padilla, he's an editor at the Los Angeles Times who oversaw the series that they just released. And Elizabeth Escobedo, she's an associate professor of history at the University of Denver. This hour was produced by Carolyn Smith. I'm Leslie McClurgan for Mina Kim, and you're listening to Forum. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera, 
Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.